Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of opening up your word, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be among us. Lord, reveal yourself to us today, Lord. Show us the the depth of our sin and reveal to us the glory of your grace through your salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, bless our time in your word today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. We continue our summer in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2. I'm looking at that whole psalm this morning. I forgot to write in my page number, but uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can look at our pew Bible there. It should be for something or the other. I forgot to look it up. But uh, <laughs> Psalm chapter 2 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have a Bible, then uh, we invite you to take that, that Pew Bible with you. And that's our gift to you today. So, Psalm chapter 2. If you found your place in Psalm chapter 2, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from among us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the earth, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Have you ever received a stern warning? It's summertime, and we've been out in the pool, and so I've kind of been thinking about uh, my days of my youth, going to the YMCA. I mean, that was the place to go when I was a kid. We'd go to the YMCA. They had the big Olympic-sized pool, and, and we, I was spent all summer at the Y. I mean, that was, just, that was it. My mom took me every morning, dropped me off there, and I spent the whole day swimming at the pool at the Y. Mary Beth, too. She's shaking her head over there. I mean, that's, that's where you hung out in the summertime and warm. And, and I remember as a, a little boy uh, running around the pool deck. Of course, that was not allowed. That was a no-no. 
You are not supposed to run around the pool deck. Everybody knows that except for little boys. You just can't hold them back. And so I remember running around the pool deck, and of course I heard that whistle. Quit running, the lifeguard would say. And so we would stop running. Uh, well, then we'd get in the pool, get out of the pool, and then, then here we go, taking off again, running again. Psh, quit running. And so we'd, we'd quit running. But, uh, you know, about the third time, psh, out of the pool. <laughs> go take a seat. And, and so after a few warnings, then there were those consequences. We could no longer stay in the pool. We'd have to sit out for a while, and we'd have to go sit in the bleachers and, and watch everybody else have fun while we were sitting in the bleachers because we did not do what the lifeguard told us to do. So we have those warnings in life, and God gives us similar warnings. But his warnings are far more serious because they come with more serious consequences. Today we look at one such warning. God gives us this warning. He, he warns us about our rebellion but even in his warning, he also gives us a gracious invitation. He warns us with your rebellion. And he invites us to trust in his king, Jesus Christ. So as we look at our text here today in Psalm chapter 2, we, we're going to learn this. This scripture tells us, kiss the son, the title of the message. Kiss the son. Surrender to Jesus Christ and receive the blessings of his kingdom. Kiss the Son. Surrender to Jesus Christ and receive the blessings of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. So today I want you to, to hear this warning and heed it this morning and trust in Jesus Christ. So last week we began our study in our summer in the Psalms and we began with Psalm chapter 1. And really and truly, Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2 go together. They go hand in hand. In fact, uh, some commentators of old, some of the Jewish rabbis from old, would call this the one psalm. They would call this the first psalm. And so they, they naturally put these two psalms together. Last week, we looked at the two ways to live, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Today, the psalm continues, and the, it goes on, and it shows us the consequences of, of living in rebellion. It also ends with a blessing. Last week in Psalm 1, it began with a blessing. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who, who walks not in the, the counsel of the wicked and stands in the way of the sinners nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. So blessed is the righteous man, the one who lives on the way of righteousness. Well, this one ends with a blessing. Blessed are those who take refuge in him, in Jesus Christ. And so you have these two bookends that draws both of these psalms, these two psalms together, making really one big psalm. Of course, we need to break them in, in half, but uh, that's what we're doing today. We're looking at this second psalm. And Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, is a messianic psalm. Uh, there's a number of different types of psalms in the book of Psalms, and this is a messianic psalm. That is, it tells us about the Messiah who was to come. David especially wrote a lot about the Messiah who was to come, the me Messiah who would uh, come and rule over the Lord's kingdom. And this is a messianic psalm, and it has a lesson to teach us about God's king, his anointed Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
And as we look at this, we see there are four parts to this psalm. There are four parts to it. And in these four parts, we see four different voices teaching us wisdom. Teaching us wisdom, how to end our rebellion and trust in God's anointed. So as we look at this, we see those four voices, and we're going to break it down into those four voices. And the, four, four, the first voice that we hear this morning is the voice of the nations. The voice of the nations. Look at that first, uh, the first verse, the first verse through the third verse. Why do the nations rage in vain? Or why do the nations rage and the, rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Here we see the nations. They rage. That is, they, they rage in rebellion. They want to, to cast off the shackles of the Lord. They raise their fist at heaven. Why? Get away from me, God. I don't want to follow your ways, God. I reject you. The nations rage in vain. They rage against the Lord. They rage against Yahweh. And they rage against his anointed king, Jesus Christ. And not only do they rage against God, but they plot. The nations plot in vain. They plot to, to cast off the bonds of God. Now, what are the bonds of God? Well, they're his, his laws, his commandments. The nations look at God's commandments as binding. We don't want to live your way, God. We want to do things our way. And so the nations rage against God. They rage against his sovereignty. They rage against his rule. They want to cast his bonds away. They don't want to live God's way. They want to live their way. They want to do things their way. And that's what we see throughout Scripture, isn't it? We see the nations raging against God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When Satan came to them and said, Did God really say? Did God really say? You see, Satan made them question the very word of God. And when Satan said, No, the, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit is because it, he knows that the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. And so Adam and Eve, they raged against God. We'd rather be like God than to obey God. They raged against God. They cast aside his, his commandments, and they sinned. When Moses went to Pharaoh and says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go so that, they may, so that they may serve me. Pharaoh looked at Moses and said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? He raged against God. And we see it today. We see it today in the uh, people all around. They rage against God. The ultimate fulfillment of this scripture comes in, in uh in the New Testament, of course, in Acts chapter, chapter 4 shows us this. Acts chapter 4, the writer there says, he quotes this verse, Why do the Gentiles rage and then people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
Then he goes on and says, For truly, in this city, that is Jerusalem, in this city where we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand, your plan had predestined to take place. You see, this psalm had its ultimate fulfillment in the day of Jesus Christ. When Pontius Pilate and Herod came together against Jesus, along with the Gentiles, along with the religious leaders of Jerusalem and all the other peoples of Jerusalem, when they said, give us Barnabas, or Barabbas, excuse me, give us Barabbas, but this Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. You see, the nations raged against God and against his anointed. And we see that very same thing today. The nations rage against God and against his anointed. You see the angry atheists out there. They rage against God and rage against his anointed. You know, it always seems kind of funny to me that those, the angry atheists, and we've all seen them before on TV in this place and that place, in, high, in schools all across the nation, there are those raging atheists. They rage against God and they rage against his anointed. You see, if, if God were just a myth, why do, they, why do they rage? Why do they hate him so? Why is it they, that they must convince everyone that he does not exist? Why must they try so hard? They didn't have to try so hard to convince the world that Zeus uh, doesn't exist. They don't rage against Buddha. They don't rage as, as much against uh, Muhammad and Allah as they do the Christian God and Jesus Christ. But the nations rage against God and against his anointed and we see it in, in, our, in society in general. This is Gay Pride Month. And when we think about the whole LGBT movement that, that's sweeping across our nation, you know, it's not enough for that whole movement, those in that movement. You see, it's not enough that, that they have the right to their homosexual lifestyle or whatever kind of lifestyle. No, they want it to be, uh, they want it to be normalized. They want it to be so that, that we are breaking the law if we speak out against it. We're, we're counted as, as giving hate speech if we say that it, it's immoral. You see, we would say, well, we can love the homosexual and their lifestyle. We, we love them and we want them to know Jesus. It's not a hateful thing to speak out and say, God's word says this is wrong. You're living in opposition to God. And you're going to die and go to hell unless you repent and turn away from your sinful lifestyle. You see, we see that as loving. That is loving. But you see, that group doesn't want that. They want to villainize us. They want to get rid of God's Word. In fact, uh, just a, about a year or so ago, uh, California had it on, on their, their docket and, and their government to try to, to ban all books that would say that homosexuality is wrong. You see, they want it normalized. They rage against God. They rage against his word. They want to cast off his commandments. They want to cast off his law. They spurn God. They hate him. 
want nothing to do with him. And this is the natural way of every human heart. This is your heart in its sinful condition. Each and every one of us were born raging against God and raging against his anointed. You even see it in church. You even see it amongst those who call themselves Christians. Well, I know God's word says this, but surely that doesn't apply to me. I know God says that gossip is wrong, but, but it's so fun. You're raging against God and his anointed. I know God's word says I shouldn't do this, but, but that's just, it's part of me. You're raging against God and you're raging against his anointed. Oh, Christian, be careful. Be careful that you slip not back into that old way, the way of the flesh, and take up that raging again. We are all, we are all susceptible to it. Be careful not to rebel against God. Oh, it is a, a wonderful sign. It's a natural, it's the natural inclination of the human heart is to rage against God and his king. The natural inclination of the human heart is to rage against God and his king, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon says in his commentary on the Psalms, you may judge yourself by this very question. Do you love the yoke of Jesus Christ? Is it a blessing to you? Is it light and easy for you? Or do you wish to cast Christ's yoke from you, to be liberated from it? How does Christ's yoke feel to you? You see, that's how you know that you're a Christian or not. If Christ's yoke is easy and light, yes, Lord, I, I want to follow your word. I want to follow your commands. I know it's good and right. That shows the heart of someone who loves God and loves his anointed. But for those who wish to cast away the yoke, it shows the heart of a rebel. I would just say to you, Turn away from your rebellion. Stop your rebellion and turn to Jesus. For he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's his yoke that brings you into eternal glory. So we hear the voices of the nations. Second, we hear the voice of the Father. The voice of the Father Hear the voice of the Father. He who sits in, heavens, in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Look and see. The Father laughs in derision. That is, he laughs in absolute ridicule. I, I just have in my mind this image from the cartoons uh, uh, when I was a kid. You, you have the big big stocky guy and, and here comes the little runt of a guy coming up and, and, he, and he's trying to get to the big guy and he's just swinging, swinging and the, the big guy's just got <laughs> you know, holding him back. He, he's laughing at him. He's laughing in ridicule. And that's what God does at the nations as they rage against him. <laughs> 
It's a laugh of absolute ridicule, a laugh of disgust, completely absent of all love. You think you're going to defeat me? You think you're so big and mighty, you're going to defeat me, you're going to put me down, you're going to bring me down? That's how the Father laughs at the nations as they rage against him. And then look what it says, when the, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king. Notice that. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. No matter what the nations may do, no matter how much they raise, God says, I have set my king on my holy hill. There's nothing you can do about that, nations. I'm God. I am your creator. I do as I will. God rages, God laughs in derision at the nations, and he makes his divine declaration, this is my king, and I set him in his place. We see this uh, back in the days of after the flood, when the peoples of the Lord began to multiply, and no sooner than they had been, God had destroyed everything, they began to rage again against God. And in chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, God tells Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's key. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, spread out. Go out into the world. Fill it. And look what the nations do. The nations, instead of obeying God, the nations come together. They come together. In Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found the plain in the land of Sinar and, set, and settled there. Instead of filling the earth, they came to this plain and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made bricks of stone, for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, let me give you an idea of what's going on here. What are they saying here? They're saying, let us build a tower to heaven. Let us build a tower to God. Let us storm the gates of heaven. Let us rule over God. Let us go conquer God. Lest we be dispersed, lest he scatter us, let's go conquer him. Let's go show him who he's messing with. That's what they're saying. They want to defeat God. And I love that next verse, verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. He came down. He's like, What's going on down there? Let's go down there and see. What are they doing? Right? He's looking down from heaven on them. They're trying to build this great big tower to heaven, and God has to come down from heaven and, and look like a, a man looking at ants with a, micro, a microscope, a, a looking at them. 
It just shows the, the greatness of God, the splendor of God that he has to come down. They're trying to build up, but he comes down. What are they doing? He laughs. You're going to try to storm my gates? How foolish could you be? You see, we are but ants in the sight of God. We're nothing. He's God. He's everywhere. He's not just up on his throne in heaven. He is, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is here. He is around on the other side of the nation. He's at the ends of the universe. God is everywhere. How dare we think we can rebel against our sovereign? God laughs. You foolish, foolish people. He is our creator. He is sovereign. Oh, He is gracious and He lets us get away with so much. But don't be foolish and think that because God lets you get away with your sin here and now that you're going to get, get away with it for, for all of eternity because you're not. He says, I have set my king on his throne. And one day he will come and judge. That's what he's getting at there when he says he, he speaks to them in his wrath. He looks down upon them in his wrath. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. My judge is coming. You think you got it over on me? You think you can defeat me? My judge, is, my king is coming to judge. And he's going to show you who's boss. He's going to show you how foolish you are. God's response to man's rebellion is derision and divine declaration. You've got nothing on me. And here's how it's going to be. To resist the Father and His King is absolutely futile, my friend. It's absolutely futile. You are but an ant in His sight. If you continue your rebellion against God and against His King, Jesus Christ, in the end, He will crush you in His wrath. Oh, dear friend, be warned. Hear God. Hear the Father as He declares to you. Quit the rebellion. Quit your foolishness. Trust in His King. So we hear, we've heard the voice of the nations and we've heard the voice of the Father. Next we hear the voice of the Son. The voice of the Son. Here in verse 7, he says, I will tell you of the decree. This is the Son speaking now. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Now notice that word. The Son declares God's decree. And he says, Today I have begotten you. Now, now don't misunderstand this because some have. They, they, they see that word begotten, and they think, well, oh, well, see, the Father 
begot. He, he gave life to the Son. And so there must have been some time that the Son didn't exist, right? Because it says that the Father begot the Son. That's not what it means here. God is speaking to us in human language with all of its limitations. And so there was never a time when the Son was not. All right? Uh, we see in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were created through Him and for Him. Everything that was created was created through the Son, through Jesus Christ, and for Jesus Christ. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. Furthermore, later on in that same gospel, John chapter 8, verse 58, uh, Jesus says himself, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews who were there and they heard him make that statement knew what Jesus was saying because they began to pick up stones to, to throw at Jesus and kill him because they, were, they were, uh, thought him to be speaking blasphemy. Jesus was saying, just as God pronounced in Genesis to Moses, when Moses asked God at the burning bush, when I go to Egypt to, to, to set your people free, when they ask me who's sending me, who, who do I say? Well, what's your name, God? And God speaks from the burning bush, and he says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. Notice that, that phrase there, I am. And there's never been a time when God was not. There will never be a time when God will be, but God am. He is I am. He always is, always will be. He is God. And Jesus makes that same de declaration before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, I am the I am. He is God. He is the eternal God. Now, there is a sense in which God, uh, which Jesus is begotten from the Father, there is that whole relationship where the father is like he's a father. He has that kind of relationship to the son. And so there's some sense in which the son is begotten from the father. He is coming from the father. In theology, we call this eternal generation. He is generated from the Father, but this is an eternal thing. He's always been generated from the Father, always will be generated from the Father. They share the same essence, yet they are two different persons. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit is generated from the Father and the Son. And you say, well, Richard, that just makes no sense to me. That just blows my mind. How can all that be? Well, praise God that we can't understand God. Because if we could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be God. He is above us, far above us. Yes, he blows our mind. And we have all eternity to contemplate more and more about who God is. But he, Jesus, is the Son of God. He has begotten from the Father. He is the Son. And He has been set aside by the Father to be His anointed King. This, the Son, He declares God's decree, and then He goes on to declare His inheritance. Ask of me, God says. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He has made Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His King. This is in fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. It says, And He, 
was given dominion, that is the Son of Man. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus Christ is God's Messiah who will sovereignly reign over God's kingdom for all of eternity. There is no end to his eternal kingdom. Oh, the nations rage in vain against God and his anointed. But their raging is absolutely in vain. It does them no good. It's like the wind. It blows and it blows away. But God's king is sovereign over all of creation and his kingdom will never end he will reign for all of eternity oh the son god's son jesus christ is king and his reign shall not be subverted Hear me, dear Christian. Hear me, dear dear person, if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus. God's Son, Jesus Christ, is King. He is King. You don't make Him King. He is King. And His reign shall not be subverted. I don't care if you trust in Jesus or not. I don't care if you make Him your King or not. He is King. And you may try as hard as you may. You will not subvert. You will not resist His kingdom. His kingdom will not be subverted, but it will not be taken down. Puritan theologian William Plummer noted this. Of the 30 Roman emperors, governors of provinces, and and high officials who distinguished themselves by their zeal and bitterness in persecuting the early Christians, one became, <clears throat> excuse me, one became speedily deranged after some atrocious cruelty. One was slain by his own son. One became blind. The, eye of one, the eyes of one started out of his head. His eyes started popping out of his head. One was drowned. One was strangled. One died in a miserable captivity. One fell dead in a manner that uh, that will, bear, will not bear recital. One died of so loathsome of a disease that several of his physicians were put to death because they could not even abide the stench. They couldn't stand the stench that filled his room. Two committed suicide. A third attempted it but had to call in for help to finish the job. Five were assassinated by their own people or servants. Five others died with the most miserable and excruciating deaths, several of them having an untold uh, complication of diseases. And eight were killed in battle after being taken or after being taken prisoner. Among these was Julian the Apostate. In the, in the days of his prosperity... He said to have pointed to his dagger to the heavens, defying the Son of God, whom he call, commonly called the Galilean. But when he was wounded in battle, he saw that all was over with him. He gathered up the clotting blood off of the ground and threw it into the air, exclaiming, Thou hast conquered. 
Oh, Galilean. You see, of all the people who have rebelled against God and rebelled against His anointed, even in this world, so many of them, God has shown them their end. And even in death, they suffered because of their rebellion against God and His anointed. And let me tell you, that's just the beginning of their suffering. For the suffering that is to come is far worse than anything they may have suffered here in this life. Dear friend, let me warn you today. If you continue your rebellion against God and His anointed Jesus Christ, there is only suffering ahead for you. And eternal suffering at that. God's Son, Jesus Christ, He is King, and His sovereign reign will not be subverted. Philippians 2, 9, 11, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, Jesus Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, don't wait until it's too late. One day you will bow before Jesus. One day you will declare Him Lord. But one day it'll be too late to do anything about it. After this life is over, it's too late. You'll declare Him as, as Lord even as you're ushered into the depths of hell. Declare Him Lord today. Surrender to Him today and find peace with God. So we've heard the voice of the nations raging against God and His anointed King. We've heard the voice of the Father laughing at the nation's ragings. We've heard the voice of the Son sounding God's divine decree. Finally, we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting the nations to surrender to God's anointed we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting the nations to surrender to God and to His anointed. Look, look there in, in verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. God, the Holy Spirit calls and He warns the rulers. Be wise. Be warned. Listen to me. Listen to me. And he invites, look at verse 11 and 12, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Notice the consequences. Kiss the Son, lest His angry, and lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is is quickly kindled. Here we see God's grace pouring out to the nations. Listen. Listen. Be wise. Quit your foolishness. Quit chasing down the, the way of the wicked. Quit running down the way of the wicked and turn to my King. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Before it's everlasting too late, trust in Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit says to us. He's calling to us. 
Don't you see God's grace? Don't you see God's grace? As we rebel against Him, as we rage against His sovereign rule and reign, He comes and says, be wise. Stop your raging. Stop. Surrender before it's everlasting too late. Oh, dear friends, see the grace of God and the gift of His Holy Spirit as His Holy Spirit comes today and convicts you. As He comes today and He begins to tug at your heart and He's whispering in your ear, stop your rebellion. Quit your raging. I love you. I gave my son for you. He died on the cross for your sin so that you may have salvation in him. Quit your raging. Surrender to Christ. Oh, the beauty and the wonder of God's grace. Quit your rebellion. Kiss the Son. That whole imagery there, kiss the sun. There was a time when, when mighty kings would come in and they would, they would overthrow a weaker government and the weaker king or the weaker people would come in before the mighty king and they would kneel before that king and they would, they would kiss his hand or they would kiss his ring in submission to that mighty king. And God the Holy Spirit says, kiss the king. Surrender. Humbly submit to his rule and reign over you. For his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Oh, the one who died for you. How easy it is to surrender to him. How easy it is to trust in him. Will you trust in him today? Quit running. Quit rebellion. Quit your rebellion, but kiss the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, invites you today, dear friend. Kiss the Son. Surrender to Him and receive His eternal blessing. Kiss the Son. Surrender to Him and receive His eternal blessing in your life. Oh, dear friend, kiss the Son today. Kiss the hands that are nailed and scarred for you. Dear Christian, you must fight the tendency of the flesh to revert back to that rebellious demeanor, that rebellious attitude towards God. Put away your sin. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Follow His rule. Follow His command. You must heed the voice of God daily. As Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Crucify your flesh daily and follow after me. Furthermore, dear Christians, as we hear this gracious plea of God calling sinners to trust in, in God and trust in His King, Jesus Christ, it also shows us our business, our duty to God. It's to go out and pronounce this very message that our God reigns. His King reigns and rules. One day He will come and judge the nations. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Him. 
and be saved. Oh, it is our duty to pronounce this very message. Kiss the King. Kiss the King, Jesus Christ. Trust in Him and receive His eternal blessing. But for some of you today, your life has been filled with rage against God and against His anointed King. You've been living in absolute rebellion. Today, let me just warn you, if you continue, if you continue in rebellion, one day you will be judged. Let today be the day's end, the end date of your rebellion. Turn away from your rebellion. Trust in Jesus. Kiss the Son. Surrender to Him. And know His eternal blessing today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and mercy towards us. Lord, even in our rebellion, even when we were shaking our fists at heaven, saying we want no part of You, God, You loved us. And You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we might know the eternal joy of Your salvation. Thank You, Lord God, for Your grace. You didn't leave us in our rebellion but you saved us from it. Oh Lord, let us be faithful to declare this, nation, this, this message to the nations. And Lord, if there's one today, and certainly there's one, probably more than that, who don't know Jesus, they're living in rebellion. Oh Lord, touch their hearts today. Touch their hearts. Let them repent. Let them trust in Jesus. Let them surrender and kiss the King. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.